Chapter Twelve of Tom Ossington's Ghost by Richard Marsh. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve, Tom Ossington's Lawyer. It was while they were seated at table that Bruce Graham told them of the result of his investigations. Although for some reason the subject had not been mentioned when Madge and he had been alone together, that young lady showed herself alert and eager enough then nor in that respect was ella behind her friend when martin concealed an interest which was probably equal to theirs under ponderous attempts at jocularity it was jack who brought him to the point if the honourable and learned gentleman has sufficiently refreshed himself with the cup that cheers would he oblige the company by mentioning if he has done anything in the matter of the hidden treasure with capitals please and if so what i have at least found that everything points to there being such a hidden treasure in spite of jack's pretended scepticism my pretended scepticism sir i would have you know that i am no sceptic or if i am never was one more willing to be converted to the faith ella interposed and mr graham you really think there is a hidden treasure i think it extremely probable tell us all about it what have you been doing all day long i have been dreaming in the city of what would happen if we did light upon a secret hoard it really would be too splendid for words the young lady looked at the eagerness which the words suggested like an imaginative child who pictures the materialism of some favorite tale of fairy to begin with i went to the house agents to learn for whom they are acting well and what did they say they were not particularly willing to say anything as i expected they were apparently under the impression that i intended to take the bread out of their mouths by dealing with their principles direct but when i had succeeded in at any rate partially reassuring them they informed me they were acting for a firm of solicitors messrs nichols and hawkins three south square gray's inn well and what did you do then i went to the solicitors it's awfully good of you to take so much trouble and what did they say as it happened i had some knowledge of the firm my father was on terms of friendship with their senior partner so that when i introduced myself to mr nichols as my father's son the way was smoothed for me they have the reputation of being a steady-going old-fashioned firm and i found them as open and above board as they very well could have been when i mentioned my errand mr nichols was all alive at once messrs palmer and beading of wandsworth i began inform me that in letting clover cottage they are instructed by you may i ask who is the owner of the property when i said that he sat up straight in his chair and as i observed became all alive oh may i inquire in return why you asked the question the question i admitted is a little irregular but i take it that you will have no objection to give me an answer not the slightest on the contrary we shall be delighted if you will help us throw light into what is at present a very dark corner because as a matter of fact as far as we are concerned there is no owner the late tom ossington died intestate so far as our knowledge goes leaving instructions that you should act on his behalf not a bit of it so far as we're aware he left no instructions of any sort or kind we have assumed a responsibility of which we should be glad to be rid do you know the man's history 
i know something of it though i confess candidly that i should like to know more my own connection with the matter is a curious one at a later stage i will tell you exactly what it is in the interim i assure you on my word of honour that any information you can give me shall be used for the furtherance of justice and for that only very good so long as right is done all that we require is to be relieved of a very awkward situation you know that ossington was peculiar not insane insane no he was as sane as you are every whit but he was a disappointed man he was malformed the muscles of one leg were paralyzed as he grew older the paralysis increased until it extended up the whole of one side and at last it killed him he married a girl who acted as bookkeeper at an hotel at which he was in the habit of stopping at ilfracombe she turned out a regular bad lot finally running away with a man named ballingall charles ballingall that's the man do you know him i have acted for him professionally have you then let me inform you without prejudice that you have acted for as rascally a scamp as ever trod the earth ossington regarded him as a particular friend and as particular friends sometimes have a knack of doing he borrowed no end of money from ossington ended by robbing him not only of his money but of his wife as well the double blow almost broke ossington's heart and during the remainder of his existence he lived the life of a recluse but until then we had acted for him continually for instance we had acted for him in the purchase of clover cottage do you hold the deeds of the house not a deed we hold nothing all that we have are the various letters which he wrote to us at various times on business we had heard nothing of him for months when one morning we received a telegram asking us to go at once to clover cottage i went myself i liked the man he was in his way as fine a gentleman as i ever met he had been cruelly used by friend and fortune i found him dead alone in the house there with a maid and a doctor dead killed according to the medical testimony by a paralytic affection of the heart but actually as sure as you and i are alive by the wicked wanton usage of those he had held dear now here the queer part of the thing comes in his last words had been an instruction to send for us but that was the only instruction he had given i myself searched the house from top to bottom and as you know it is not a large one i had it searched by others every nook and cranny not a scrap of writing could be discovered letter note or memorandum not a document of any sort of kind nothing whatever to show of what he had died possessed or to whom it was to go you had reasons to suppose that he had means every reason we had every reason to believe him to be a man of comfortable means we ourselves had on more than one occasion acted for him in matters involving thousands of pounds we applied to the national and provincial bank where we were aware he had an account they informed us that he had closed the account some two months previously and that on that occasion they had handed him over six thousand pounds in notes on the bank of england they gave us a list of the numbers of the notes and not one of them has been presented for payment to this day is that so it is 
we furnished the bank with a copy of the list requesting them to notify us should one of them come in as yet not a single one of them has made its appearance where are these notes surely if they were in the possession of any living person ere this some of them would have been presented where are the title deeds of clover cottage and of other properties of which he was the undoubted owner he is the registered holder of ten thousand great northern railway stock since his death the dividends on it have remained unclaimed where is the scrip with the rest has it vanished into air in a box in his bedroom were forty-seven pounds in gold that was all the cash the house contained we buried him in wandsworth cemetery hawkins i and the doctor were the only mourners we sold the furniture paid the expenses and the balance stands to the credit of the estate we advertised for next of kin without results we advertised also for information as to the whereabouts of any property of which he might have died possessed such as title deeds and anything of that kind you understand that there is a delicate question as to who is entitled to collect the rents of other properties which we believe to have been in his freehold but nothing came of that clover cottage we placed in the hands of messrs parker and beading but only recently have they succeeded in letting it i believe to two single ladies so i understand jack struck in you are the two single ladies you pointing to ella are one of them and you pointing to madge are the other ella was impatient jack i do wish you wouldn't interrupt mr graham do go on it's like a romance my curiosity is such that i feel as if i were all pins and needles bruce graham continued and you mr nichols i said have you formed no theory of your own upon the subject old nichols leaned back in his chair he put his hands into his two pockets and he looked at me out of the corners of his eyes i have i have formed a decided theory but upon my word i don't know what right you have to ask me i trust before we part to prove to your entire satisfaction that i have every right what's the nature of your theory what's the nature of your right i laughed i saw that he meant to understand more clearly where we stood before he went any further i believe i am in a position to produce an owner for the property when found when found precisely when found as yet it remains to be found i must ask you not at this moment to press me for further details and of course you on your part are entitled to keep your theory to yourself I am entitled to keep my theory to myself as you say but i know your father was an honest man and as it happens i know something about you and i believe you also are an honest man so as i am anxious for many reasons that this ossington mystery should be unravelled you shall have my theory for what it's worth he tilted his chair on its hind legs watching me keenly all the time thomas ossington was peculiar not in any sense of the word insane but out of the common run in particular he was secretive especially latterly and perhaps was only natural my theory is that distrusting banks and all such human institutions he secreted his cash his title deeds and everything he valued in some hiding-place of his own contriving and that there it remains concealed unto this hour the two girls rose simultaneously madge cried ella 
did you hear that that's exactly what you said in madge's tones there was the ring of an assured conviction i was sure of it and i am sure of it as sure as any one possibly can be may i ask inquired jack with mock severity who it is who is interrupting now will you let the gentleman go on graham went on but where i said do you think he is likely to have found such a hiding-place old nichols looked at me if possible more shrewdly than ever at clover cottage i knew the man the salient events of his life happened there in his whimsical way he regarded it as part and parcel of himself i have heard him say so half a dozen times his heart was in the place whatever he did conceal was concealed within its four walls before the furniture was sold i had it overhauled by an expert some of the things were pulled to pieces his verdict was that nothing was hidden there had i had my way i would have dismantled the whole house only hawkins was against me he said very properly that if the heir at law proved cantankerous i might be made to smart in damages to the tune of a pretty penny so i abstained all the same if the house was in the market to-morrow i'd be a purchaser at a good round sum if all rights of treasure trove went with it you may tell the present tenants here he looked at me in a fashion which took me a little aback if you have the honour of their acquaintance that we keep a sharp eye on the property that it is not to be tampered with to the extent of one jot or tittle and that not so much as one inch of paper is to be taken off the wall except with our express permission ella turned to madge what do you say to that she exclaimed that knocks on the head all your notions of pulling the house to pieces madge was defiant does it it does nothing of the kind not after what i found in this very room last night in the face of that i care nothing for mr nichols or for his threats either what do you think yourself mr graham if you will allow me i will give you my own opinion when i have told you of all that passed between mr nichols and myself indeed i am now coming to that very point there you are you see you will not let the man finish you really won't i never saw anything like you women for interrupting never in all my life this of course was jack who was as usual ignored graham brought his story to an end there is one more question i said which i should like to ask you mr nichols do you know of any one of the name of edward john hurley i ought to seeing that some one of the name of edward john hurley is in our office at this moment and has been in our office for something over a quarter of a century can i see him mr nichols touched a bell and presently mr hurley entered i felt that his presence on the spot was a stroke of luck for which i had certainly been unprepared he was a tall thin dignified-looking man with grey hair he wore spectacles taking them off he wiped them with his handkerchief before he replaced them on his nose to look at me do you remember mr hurley i began the twenty-second of october eighteen ninety two the twenty-second of october eighteen ninety two he repeated my words then replied to my question with another may i inquire why you ask i will put my question in another form do you remember witnessing mr thomas ossington's attachment of his signature to a certain document on the twenty-second of october eighteen ninety two 
I had noticed that Mr. Nichols and he had exchanged glances when I first put my query. Now he looked at his principal evidently in search of guidance. Shall I answer this gentleman's question, sir? Certainly. Give him all the information you can. This Mr. Hurley proceeded to do with the utmost clearness. I do remember the 22nd of October, 1892, and the whole of the circumstances. I chanced to meet Mr. Ossington in Holborn as I was leaving the office. He asked me if I would dine with him at his house in Wandsworth. I went with him to dinner there and then. After dinner he asked me if I would witness his signature. I expressed my willingness. I witnessed it. Were you acquainted with the nature of the document he was signing? I was not. I have often wondered what it was, especially in the light of after events. The document, which was on a sheet of blue fool's cap, had evidently been prepared before my arrival. Mr. Ossington, covering the writing with a piece of blotting paper, signed it in the middle of the page, directly underneath, while I affixed my signature as witness on the left-hand side. Was there another witness? There was, the servant girl. What was her name? I never heard it. I only know that he called her Louisa. I think I should recognize her if I saw her again. She was a red-faced, light-haired, strapping wench about eighteen years of age. Should you recognize Ossington's signature and your own, and the document to which they were attached? Most decidedly, under any circumstances at any time. I thanked him for his frankness and rose to go. Nichols stopped me. One moment, he said. Hurley informed us at the time of what he has just now told you, and, like him, we have frequently wondered what was the nature of the document he witnessed. As you are evidently aware that such a paper existed once upon a time, you are probably acquainted with its present whereabouts. I am. It will be produced in due course. When, I promise you, you will see as curious a document as is to be found upon the records. Both Nichols and Hurley endeavored to induce me to be more definite, but I was not to be persuaded. Thanking them for the information they had given me, I came away. End of chapter 12